We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And Lakers handled business, closed out a 3-0 road trip by whooping on the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, moving their road record to 7-0 on the season, best road start in franchise history. And we are going to get to that. But the big news of the NBA yesterday James Harden traded to the Brooklyn Nets. You have uh, Karis LeVert ending up with Houston. You have uh, Jared Allen ending up in Cleveland. A couple other moving pieces to this deal. But the big news, obviously, is uh, a superstar in Harden ending up with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. So we're going to talk about that deal in the first segment at the very least. And Mike, you had some uh, interesting thoughts in our text thread about how we're going to view this kind of through the Lakers lens as we always do. So what are, what are your thoughts regarding this this big major NBA deal? Yeah, Pete, the thought is superstar fit. And it gets back to how LeBron and AD so seamlessly go together on both sides of the floor. And that's from the start of the game all the way through crunch time. And it doesn't really matter what lineup you use around them because of their versatility on both ends. And that's, of course, been a constant theme for us on this podcast. But in the context of what Brooklyn did offensively, and this is assuming that Kyrie gets back and start playing, I, I don't have much of the same concerns that people are going to have with uh, is there's only one ball type stuff like that's going to be a devastating offensive group. But I think of it in the context of, OK, if those guys are out in the court, who else do you have to have out there in order to defend well enough? And it's just such a luxury that the Lakers never have to worry about. 
And the other part of that is thinking about rim protection. And I, I know that Kevin Durant can do it to an extent, and he did it pretty well in certain instances with the Warriors, although he always had Draymond Green out there flanking, who is such a great backline defender, um, rim protector, rotator, calling out assignments, all of that kind of stuff. And he's really devote. He got to devote himself to that in Golden State. Well, if you want to play small, and this goes for the Brooklyn lineup, this goes for almost any other star duo, including, by the way, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who is is one of the other really high-level duos, or say Chris Paul and Devin Booker or Lillard and McCollum. Like, anytime those guys are out there, there isn't a direct rim deterrent for LeBron and AD. And, and again, I'm fast-forwarding all the way to like a potential finals match sure. just for fun here. If you go small because AD's at the five, Darius – then that's always going to give the type of personnel that LeBron's going to look at behind his defender and just think, oh, cool, okay, and I'll just go right to the rim and finish anyway. And that's the context that I wanted to ask both you guys about this is I don't, I don't know if there's a tandem out there that you could put together in a fantasy world that's going to eliminate that advantage that the Lakers have because of AD's ability at the five to then open things up uh, for LeBron to just skate down to the rim. And that was my first thought when I when I thought about how this could potentially impact a matchup. Yeah, I'm at just a big, big NBA trade. This is why we're NBA fans, I feel like, and not Lakers fans. Like I always say that I'm a basketball or an NBA fan first and a Lakers fan second. It just so happens to be that the Lakers have been so good over my lifetime that it works out great for me. Before I dive into your stuff about AD, I just wanted to echo that I have little concern about how good the Nets are going to be on offense. They're going to be a crazy offensive team. Before, when we did sort of our tier stuff related to the Eastern Conference, I had mentioned that my concerns with Brooklyn were on the defensive side, and those have only been enhanced now that they traded away Jared Allen, who I thought was a much superior player overall, but particularly defensively than DeAndre Jordan. The Nets now do lack a center rotation, really, behind DeAndre. DeAndre also got a DNPCD the other day when they played the Nuggets, I believe. So their big red rotation is a bit in flux, which I think is a nice pivot point to the stuff around Anthony Davis. AD is just such a unique player on both sides of the ball, but particularly his ability to score from all three levels now. And Mike, when you talk about teams going small against the Lakers and how that helps LeBron, I, I mean, we can't just jump to LeBron at first. I think it helps Anthony Davis, right? Like he is a monster in the paint, playing a smaller player on him, allows him to shoot over the top of other guys it allows him to get more into the post it makes defensive coverages more susceptible to his offensive rebounding and his duck-ins where he's not just a threat for himself but just occupying more players and more attention and that benefits every other player on the court including lebron james when you start to then talk about lebron yeah ad can space to the corner I was looking up his shooting numbers earlier today for something separate that I've been working on. AD's taken eight corner three-pointers this year. He's made seven of them, so that's pretty good. His ability to flank to either corner and be a threat from there does allow LeBron to get downhill so much easier. Those benefits exist too with Marcus All on the floor. So I think we'll get more into how the Lakers match up potentially with the Nets over the course of the pod. But Pete, more of a bigger 
picture question I wanted to ask you about this trade regarding the Nets is forget offense for a second. Are they going to be able to hang defensively in pressure moments or is that something that you're concerned about at all? Yeah, I I mean, I don't think they will against us. I think that, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis at the four and five, there's such a strength discrepancy between the Nets main guys and our main guys. And we I feel like we've got some of the I mean, look, defending Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden is going to be a handful. But we have as defenders, Anthony Davis and LeBron James and Alex Caruso and Contavious Caldwell Pope and Wes Matthews, right? And so there's I I have more faith in our ability to defend them than their ability to defend us. And even in the Eastern Conference, before we'd get to a potential matchup with us, there I'm curious how they manage the the strength component. The thing that I come to on whether or not this is going to work for them is how much are they going to be willing to sacrifice? Along with all of the individual talent, chemistry matters so much. And we're watching this Lakers team come together from that standpoint as well. And that really manifests itself most on the defensive end. When a team gets along and they're talking and they're working toward a common goal, that is where it shows up. And the Nets have a great deal of work to do in that respect. And that's that's why, you know, Kyrie missing all these games is harmful. You got to work toward it. We saw this same idea happened last year, Mike, with the Clippers, where the regular season, like, look, they, Brooklyn's got to be in the playoffs. They know they're really freaking good. And they got a ton of talent. They're going to be a handful in a seven-game series. But I, I do have a great deal of, of belief that you have to go through this, especially in that first year. And everybody from Harden to Durant to Kyrie, their games are going to change. Harden can't just go standing off to the side anymore when he doesn't have the ball. He has to be a viable off-ball threat. This is cutting, this is setting screens, this is spotting up, and all of that. So, Mike, you accurately pointed out that the whole there's only one ball thing only goes so far when you got that much talent. But what does this mean for three guys who are so used to having the ball in their hands? Yeah, that's the that part of it is intriguing, but it's not something that I that I think can't be ironed out. And I think the immediate way you deal with it is that Durant goes into a similar role that he played in Golden State, where he's off the ball, you're running him off pin downs, you're sure you're going to post him here and there. But Harden has the ball probably the most and then Kyrie's kind of the guy on the weak side. The least desirable spot there is the one that Kyrie is now going to be in. And, and that's an interesting thing to get into his mentality about what like what's been going on with him these last couple of weeks, which I don't want to speculate on exactly. I don't know. Uh, I know that it's not helping the Nets much though. And like once he, once he does get back, it, it does seem like he, he has to be the one to just sort of get into that Kevin Love spot, that Chris Bosch spot. And, and then I think more about uh, this has to do a little bit with the LeBron and AD discussion. So these guys can all get to the rim. That's the one. So they're not just a, it's a little bit of a different mix than say Paul George and Kawhi who like Kawhi really likes to get to his spots in the middle of the lane and shoot jumpers. Sure. He'll get in and finish sometimes, but Paul George is mostly a jump shooter. You know, Kyrie can get into the paint when he wants to Harden can certainly get into the paint when he wants to, they have incredible handles and KD can do whatever he wants. So I, I, I just then think of, I would rather have my two best players be big and also still skilled again, like LeBron and Anthony Davis, as opposed to having my guys more on the perimeter. So can KD, how much can he really transfer his game back to that, uh, to more of a big man 
type of role, which he's going to, I feel like he's ha- he has to do that. And then who's going to be on the court next to them in certain matchups? Like if Joe Harris is out there, you're not getting a ton defensively from him. You're getting, do you need that spacing? Not like you need, you need like Iguodala and Draymond Green types, you know, or AD, like you need, um, or I'm trying to think Darius, I don't think they have the guy in the roster, but like a PJ Tucker, of course, I'm sure like I would have, I'd be like, Hey, wait, here's four firsts and four pick swaps. Can we get PJ right. too? You know, yes. so get a defender in here. And that's, that's where I worry about things more uh, for Brooklyn. Like I, I really don't, I think that they, the, the ball who has the ball stuff is fine. It's just all about within certain matchups, who can they have on the floor next to those guys that's going to, that are going to do all of the dirty work. And since that's not going to be able to happen, you're going to have to do have Kevin Durant um, do some of that defensive dirty work. So earlier I said, I'm less concerned about there's only one ball stuff. I do trust Mike D'Antoni to to come up with certain things um, schematically that can help optimize all three players while still giving them enough touches. Simple things, even like an emphasis on ball reversals and guys really keen in on making the extra pass can do a lot to bridge those gaps between guys who are heavy ball handler type guys, right? Um, We saw that even with the Lakers last season with LeBron and AD, both of those guys, AD less so, but the Lakers used him like this a lot last season as more of an isolation player, right? Like Pete, you and I lamented some just like, oh, another post up for, for AD. Now that turned out working out to their benefit during the postseason because he became such a lethal shooter and one-on-one scorer that it elevated the Lakers offense in in a way in the playoffs where you need those types of guys, which I think suits Brooklyn well then for a playoff environment where getting your own basket and being able to create a shot for yourself or teammates becomes so important. Mike, where I think you're dead on is where are those dirty work plays going to come from. I'm a bit higher on Joe Harris as a defender than maybe both of you guys are. I, I'm not saying that he's elite or anything like that, but he will compete he's, on that end. He's got he's good fine. size and he's fine. I don't think that he's a negative defender, which is important when you're trying to build out a lineup. My question is that when they do go small, then does that mean Kevin Durant is at center? And if it does mean that Kevin Durant's at center, that's going to make them a crazy offensive team. But defensively, who is going to be that secondary rim protector guy who is going to step in? And rim protection doesn't have to mean blocking shots, but are you going to make the rotations? Are you going to take charges? Are you going to be able to get big in the paint in ways that force misses in the restricted area? Because if you're not, then your offense then is going to be working at a bit of a disadvantage by taking the ball out of the basket more. And over the course of a full 48-minute game and then over the course of a full seven-game series, if you're not getting the necessary stops, you going up against a set defense so often, regardless of how dominant your scorers are, will take a toll on those guys. That takes a toll on guys on offense too, right? Like I'm picturing as you're all talking about this, like what does it look like with Kevin Durant at center? And KD, when he wants to be, is a phenomenal defender. But I'm picturing Kyrie Irving trying to box out Anthony Davis on a a drop down, Joe Harris trying to do the same thing. And the Lakers are a team that can take out your legs in large part because of how 
big they are and they can they can stay big while remaining skilled and I I don't know I look at this Brooklyn team I don't think they're done roster move wise or at least I don't think they should be they've got a couple of guys in Spencer Dinwiddie Landry Shamit Joe Harris as you mentioned who are more offensively inclined I'd probably try to keep Harris but move see what I could do uh, in terms of Dinwiddie and Shamit for those PJ Tucker-esque type of guys that can do the dirty work that would ideally surround that that trio um, I think Jeff Green is going to be a really important player for them Uh-oh. uh yeah <laughs> he's a uh, he's kind of ubiquitous around the league go ahead no i was just gonna say that jeff green's a guy where um the more you depend on him the harder your life gets right so mm-hmm. he if if he's a guy who you don't have to rely on he can have an impact in a game here or a game there but if you're relying on him to do any number of things even if it's just two or three things on the court and do them well night after night after night then you're probably asking for trouble well yeah so just the jeff green piece and we don't have to spend a ton of time in this but he was of course uh with houston last year in that series against the lakers i mean do you guys remember any particular plays that jeff green made now he did have like he had 16 points in game uh, three, like he had 13 in the last game. But I don't know. I, I I don't recall him particularly helping the Rockets much. No, and he's not the guy. Like he he's got some offensive ability, but the type of dirty work guy that they need is is really on the defensive end, right? Like Alex Crusoe would be phenomenal on the Nets. He would he those types of guys that set good screens play great defense fight over them yeah that's true that is true that is that is true but uh i feel like uh there was an old product that the tagline was like we don't make the products you buy we make the products you buy better and that is alex crusoe right in that he i think is that connective tissue with superstars that would help anybody but if you're a really good player and and ac's always said this right like that i play better around better players which is true of a lot of guys but his game in particular really enhances so yeah, that, no, you're, you're totally right, Pete. You're totally right. The the thing before we we shouldn't even you're right. We shouldn't even talk too much about you know potential Lakers Nets finals matchups because now they're, what's more fun at least in the short term is going to be all right. What are they going to do against Embiid uh, and yes. Sixers and Simmons and a rim threat? What are they going to do against Giannis uh, and the Bucks and you know a, a team that has that's equipped in a different way sort of to handle them? But then the the Nets also can hit at a direct weakness for the bucks um, as well in the crunch time. And you've got all of a sudden you've got three guys who are all infinitely better than anybody on the bucks. Well, I shouldn't say infinitely because Middleton can do a certain amount of uh, work sure. on the track, but like those are, those are fascinating matchups to me that the nets are going to have to sort of prove it. And they are going to have to get another guy uh, on defense. I just don't, I, I don't think the assets Pete that you mentioned, whether it's Harris or, you know, injured Dinwiddie, I don't, I don't know that they can get that guy versus all of the, like every team wants BJ Tucker, right? Right. That kind of thing. Right. Can, can they get him and they don't have the picks, right? It's going to take a first to get PJ Tucker. Right. Houston's already got all their first, you know? So that's that true. Part of, that, they're that part they're of close. And yeah. And yeah, Dinwiddie's got the option for, for next year. Um, let's, I would love to hear your guys thoughts about the Eastern conference. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's get into that of after the dust has settled, the Eastern conference is very, very interesting to me in a way where I think the West is the Lakers are in that top tier and everybody else is kind of fighting for second with, with apologies to the Clippers. I still have respect for the Clippers talent, but yeah, let's take a break. When we come back, I'd love to hear your guys thoughts on the East. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, 
Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So yeah, Darius, post-Harden trade, you've got a bunch of really interesting teams. Philly's playing a lot better. Uh, you've got Boston sitting atop the East right now. Milwaukee has the best point dif- differential in the NBA, and they're obviously still a threat. Uh, Miami, so one of those those three teams, Miami and uh, the Nets, are one of those teams aren't, isn't going to get beyond the first round of the playoffs. They're fine, like... Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Pretty good teams. Don't you got India? Yeah. yeah. Eh, eh. Uh, okay okay sorry no t- talk to me talk to me no, no, uh, no. whether indiana 
uh, belongs in there or not. I, but what what are your thoughts on after post-Harden trade of, on the East? The Eastern Conference is a really tricky conference to project, in my opinion. Like To me, the two best players in the conference are very likely Giannis and Kevin Durant. Embiid is making his case to be like in that tier this year, but you you know this is probably the best Embiid has looked maybe in his career in terms of like seriousness about wanting to dominate from a night to night basis, and that's a scary thing. The Sixers, I think they have some fences to mend, probably with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons was supposed to be in this trade. I've listened to several podcasts now breaking down the mechanics of this trade. And I think it was maybe on the Hoop Collective pod with Brian Windhorst, but it was said that Ben Simmons was prepared to be traded. Um, And in the aftermath of this, he's very happy that he was not traded. But those are discussions now that you need to have. The Lakers remember very well what mending those fences looks like. Or Lamar Odom. Yeah, with, well, even Pau Gasol, right? And so Lamar ended up getting traded because they couldn't mend those fences. But I think in the aftermath of including Pau in that Chris Paul trade that was vetoed, there was never quite the same amount of trust between the organization and the player. And that's a tough thing to recoup. And that doesn't mean that Simmons isn't going to be professional. It doesn't mean he's not going to play hard. It doesn't mean anything necessarily. It's it's just that these guys are humans, as I said. But Philly is a super intriguing team. Obviously, they've got health stuff to work through right now with Seth Curry, who's dealing with coronavirus. And how does he come back? Because I think that he's an important guy for them. But... Look, man, the strength stuff that you mentioned, Pete, it's not just strength. It's it's strength and skill. It's strength and quickness. It's it's strength and the ability to really put an opposing defender right into the damn basket when you talk about Embiid and you talk about Giannis. Right. And to a certain extent, when you talk about Miami and the physical nature that they'll play with. I really like Achua, the rookie that that they drafted. And then you add a guy like that to Bam and Jimmy Butler, who both those guys are going to compete super hard. I'm excited about what the Eastern Conference playoffs will look like. I mentioned Indiana just because they're playing really well. I like the Oladipo move in getting off of him in a way that makes sense for them considering what his free agency status was going to be. I think Levert is like an analog to Depot in in a lot of ways. And Indy's tough, man. Their shot selection is so much better. And look, they also have a physicality in in their front court. Miles Turner is leading the league in block shots this year. And Sabonis is a horse in the paint. And defending the restricted area is going to be as important for the Eastern Conference as I think it was for the Western Conference last year where where the Lakers just dominated there, right? So, Mike, is is there a team that stands out to you? Uh, Would you put Brooklyn first or would you have another team ahead of them? Like star power still wins. And I feel like you're sort of a star power guy when we have these sort of conversations. Yeah, I, look, I, I think NBA history teaches us that you have to be a, a star power guy um, unless you have the super unique team like the 04 Pistons or something that that where you have no top level star, but you have four almost like all-star level 
players. And I don't think any of the teams in the East have that. Like, so Indiana is a good example, right? Darius, to me, they're like a super, now totally different style, but super, super poor man's type of a Pistons team where you don't have the one dominant all-star, even though Sabonis is emerging. Okay. Like he's getting better. People need to be aware when they play against him. Like he will come after you and your kids. Uh, he's a real force in there. But I ultimately still, I just don't see them as having quite high end enough talent or depth. You know, they, they really don't have much coming off the bench now. And part of what hurts them is the TJ Warren. Yeah, Warren. Out for a while. And he could be out for the year, um, according to so what some people think. So I just, I think I think they're, they're just on the outside looking in, but they're going to be a real pain in the ass for one of those teams to play in the first round. Um, and could they win a series? Sure. I just don't see them having enough to win two series. Then like Boston is interesting. I'll let Pete focus more on them, but with Brown's emergence this year alongside Tatum, like if they got one more piece, they're close. Milwaukee, I, I just, I can't buy in until I see Giannis figure out how to deal with a wall, a, a, a Miami heat playoff wall where they just cut off the driving lanes for him. And can he be a supportive player in certain parts like that? Can does holiday make enough of a difference with Middleton? I don't know. They're also a little thin and I don't see a, a ton of weight, like, but they're counting on Bobby Portis right now for big minutes. So they worry me a little bit. Um, I do. So I guess what I'm getting around to, and you guys already talked about Philly. I think Miami definitely deserves our respect once Butler gets back to that level. But I do kind of have to default, just say, okay, I Kevin Durant's back. He looks like Kevin Durant. And now they have James Harden, who's actually going to try, which by the way, again, to back to those, that, that the demolishing of the Rockets, like he couldn't have tried any less hard against the Lakers. You know, so now that he's going to be engaged again, I I do think that I just have to default to them. But I'm not I'm not anywhere like I would say th- I think the Lakers have a a much better chance of getting back to the finals than any team in the East has is is probably the way I would put it, Pete. That's a great way of putting it. And I'm glad you brought up Durant because a lot of times we can overcomplicate things. But Durant's one of those guys that when he's got it rolling, he's a uh, oh, there's almost nothing you can do about this. The one thing that you have is double teaming, even if that's, you know, up on the perimeter crossing half court, but then you're giving that the ball's going to end up in Harden or Kyrie's hands against a four on three. And that's going to be difficult as well. And so that just that in and of itself puts Brooklyn number one for me in the East. I also think they're going to be big players on the buyout market. How much would a guy like Markeith Morris help Brooklyn? And if you are a buyout candidate in a league that has some very interesting financial situations around it right now, there are probably going to be some buyouts before that happens. And if you're a buyout, a player who's been bought out, who, who can hoop a bit, you're probably looking at Brooklyn going like, Hey, I'll get minutes there, right? I'm not going there to be the 11th guy. I'm going there to actually be a part of a rotation. So I'm picking Brooklyn as a pretty safe number one, but that's with the assumption that there are some roster tweaks, whether it's trades and Mike rightly pointed out why those options were a little more limited. But even if they could just get like two solid guys on the buyout market, I think that would go a long way to uh, helping them become what that, that, you know, number one team led by a Kevin Durant, who who really is the the guy that surpasses everybody else. For me, the second team is Miami still. Uh, my problem with Philly is more a playoff thing of who do you give the ball to in those big situations when you need to create a shot? The best version we saw of them was with Jimmy Butler as that guy. They still don't have that guy. And whenever I talk about Philly, uh, it, Embiid having a, 
a solid year. Uh, Curry shooting the hell out of it, right? The pieces kind of just fitting better than they did before. I assume they'll be able to, you know, smooth things over with, look, with Simmons. And he does look great, Pete, right now. He does. He does. No, I've, I've, I've watched him. It's also, and, and that's going to be problematic. I just, it's been so long, Mike, since the last series, like high level conference finals, finals type series where a back to the basket, big man, obviously Embiid's got some perimeter ability, but that's where he really dominates is, is down there um, where he was the guy in a series. And until I see that happen in the modern NBA, um, I'm, I'm going to be skeptical about that. Now, is that in terms of like a Brooklyn versus Philly matchup? God, that would be interesting. Like, how do you even like, we could talk about Durant as a center and as a small ball five. And in today's NBA, that's not that crazy, but Darius, if you start talking about Durant versus Embiid, you know what you're trapping your, like, how, how does you've got those guys in Embiid and, and Giannis in particular, those, you know, we talk about putting pressure on the rim. These are, the very best of the best at that, these monsters in the of the paint. How does Brooklyn navigate that? Like even from a schematic standpoint, when you're a smaller team, how do you build that wall against those bigger players? Well, here's the thing, man, is when you're a smaller team, one of the benefits of going small is that you make yourself more fungible as a defense. So when you're switching everything, that's great, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm going to take your man and you're going to take my man. But what happens when can you switch when you have Kyrie Irving, like such a small guard? This was like an issue that I thought the Lakers had when they had Rondo, right? Who was playing a very big role. I think you end up having to scramble more and leverage your quickness and potential length out there. And if you're a team like the Nets and you're facing, I think, Embiid and Giannis are different types of problems, right? Giannis is a post player, but he's not an Embiid level post player. Giannis still likes to turn and face. He's not going to shoot a jump hook. He's not even really going to shoot many turn around jumpers. He wants to turn and face. And instead of driving on you from 25 feet when he's on the perimeter, he wants to drive on you from 12 feet, right? Where it's literally a half a dribble and he's putting you in the basket rather than a dribble and a half when he's that high out. I do think they're going to have to double team and swarm, and it is going to put a lot of pressure on your playmaking when you're a big man. Like, can you pass? Can you make the right read time after time after again, especially when the coverages shift? I would imagine that Brooklyn is going to want to switch a lot defensively and it's something that they're going to want to practice over the course of the rest of the regular season but i don't think you can switch too much considering some of their defensive limitations as individual players because then you end up with harden defending some random small guard and camping out on the perimeter right enforcing that type of switch and Kyrie getting buried in the post by some power forward, right? Or having to box out a big guy. It's problematic. Mike, in a proposed like Brooklyn path to the conference finals or, or, or the finals, from their perspective, do you think a team like Philly or Milwaukee would be more of a concern for them? Ooh, this is a good question. I think, I guess by Milwaukee has shown more consistency over the last couple of years than Philly. And so they're, they're sort of the safer answer 
I think Philly is has the more upside and kind of to Pete's point. So Pete, you're right about the big man not really being able to you know flex like that to really dominate and take over a series uh, in some ways since Shaq or you know Tim Duncan in a different way. But Embiid like he can get to the free throw line 20 times a game. And like down you can have it you can give him the ball at the elbow and he can either hit that face up shot or he can take one dribble and he's so large that you, yes, he is going to turn the ball over way too much. He's like a three, he's like a, a one-to-one almost assisted turnover ratio, but he's most, he's going to get you a decent shot or he's going to get fouled. So in that way, I do view him a little bit differently than your typical back to the basket post up big. Cause he won't, he doesn't have to even go to the low block. He'll just catch at the top of the key. Do you think he could be the best player in a conference finals, the best player yeah. in a final series? It, it, it is like it is healthy in shape, right? Like not getting tired, all, all that kind of stuff. Yes, he is. I have seen him dominate games more than any other player um, other than a LeBron and AD, uh, maybe like a Steph from a different perspective on offense. Harden, he is right there. Durant, like he is right there in that class. So I do. I am kind of tantalized by what Embiid could do in a series like that, because that's one guy. If you're Brooklyn, you can't guard him with Kevin Durant or Jeff Green, and does that mean that you have to have DeAndre on the floor? And then that's going to hurt you in a lot of other ways. So maybe I'm, I'm rounding my way over because, because guess what? KD can guard Giannis, and I, I think he can pretty effectively limit Giannis. Now, Giannis is going to bowl through him certain times, and you're, you're definitely going to have to have help. But it's just so, it's so funny thinking about this as somebody who covers the Lakers because these are all the type of issues that it, it is such an easy answer with the Lakers. Oh, put AD on him. Put LeBron on him. Give the ball to AD. Give the ball. It's th- those guys are they're just different problem solvers like that. And I think that KD, if he can show me defensively that he can get back to a certain level there where he can be a solution on that end, like he has at times in the past, and they just haven't had to do that so far this regular season, then that's gonna that's gonna you know bring me up another level probably on Brooklyn. But that still remains my concern. So uh, Darius, yeah, I this is a. I like to give neat answers and, and, and not hedge and pick one. So if I'm doing that, I suppose I will pick man, betting on beater. I guess I will pick Philly and I'm counting on kind of Danny green in one corner, uh, Seth Curry in the other corner, Simmons, do, Simmons doing his thing defensively. And then Tobias Harris and, or, uh, you know, a couple of their, their young guys that are playing decently. So I guess I'll narrowly go Philly. I just don't, I just don't buy until Milwaukee proves me wrong. I'm not buying it. Darius, where do you stand on the whole, like, so I'm, I very much have that hardcore belief that you got to have a guy you can give the ball to uh, 30 feet away from the basket and say in, in a high level playoff series, conference finals, finals, right? And as, as talented as Embiid is and as dominant and as much of a matchup problem as he would pose for Brooklyn, my concern with Philly remains that whole, there's nobody you can give the ball to out on the perimeter, say, go create a shot. Do you think that Embiid can be that guy that's the best player in a series in a conference finals, best player in a finals. And do you, and that Philly can, as a result of his enormous talent, be able to kind of bypass what's been a truism in the NBA over the last decade that you need that guy out on the perimeter. Yes, to a certain extent. So there's a limit there with a guy like Embiid playing 25 or 30 feet away from the basket and playing through him. He doesn't have like a Jokic type of skill set as a passer in in order to be a facilitator of of offense 
when he's that far away from the basket. They do have another guy, though. He's an interesting player. He's left-handed. He went to LSU. He's 6'9". He's a power wing. That Ben Simmons guy, who probably would have been the best player Houston could have gotten in a trade for James Harden. Ben Simmons is a consistent all-NBA player. He plays defense. And I think that he can be a shot creator. Now, a shot creator for others more so than himself. That said, in a hypothetical Nets series, who guards Ben Simmons? James Harden? Uh, I think, yeah, I think the weakest of the three, actually, honestly. I think that you, in you a playoff series... you could put Kyrie Irving? Do, do you think you could put Kyrie Irving on Ben Simmons? Sure. No, because Simmons... So Simmons will just can just muscle and push... And Pete, I want your I want your take on this. Certainly, I didn't mean to drown you out there. If like the one thing that Harden's really good at defensively is absorbing contact, and you know he's strong, you can't move him. He's kind of like a tree trunk, and he can at least move his feet well enough, I think, to not get blown by when he's engaged. Whereas Kyrie Simmons can kind of just use his you know height and his size to back him in. So, okay, between the two, you're absolutely right. Harden is a better matchup because of that strength and has some post defensive capabilities. I suppose my uh, say, like saying Kyrie's fine. I think you pull a ton of tension off of Ben Simmons in a playoff series. I think that playoff series are so very much built off of that. Whoever is on the floor, um, first off, if you're playing deep into the playoffs, you're almost certainly playing a superstar. Uh, you're up against a superstar of some sort that will require more than one defender's attention. And the question becomes, can you pull attention off of someone else and where do you pull it off of and so until there is some degree of when you double team Joel Embiid which the Brooklyn Nets would almost certainly have to do if and we're going to make you pay with Ben Simmons somehow or a we put Harden or Kyrie on Ben Simmons and Simmons is going to score on him every time in a playoff series to the point where you have to devote extra attention there for all of the, the wonderful things that Simmons does. I think in a playoff series, I think he's, he's problematic for Philly. And if they were going to be that team, that exception to the rule, that is that team that has the great big man that can be the best player in a conference finals or above series in Embiid. Having a guy like Simmons almost negates that. In a lot of ways, am I? I, I guess I've been I, down on Philly and this combination of those two in the I playoffs disagree. for a couple of years now because of this. I disagree with the types of players that they've surrounded Simmons and Embiid with. Now, I think that you could get away with that when it was Tybal, Josh Richardson flanking him. I think that if you have high quality shooters or shooting threats around those two guys, if you want to double team Joel Embiid and then flash Simmons in to the middle of the floor or put Simmons in four on three situations where when he's going to be able to get downhill and and either get to the basket and score for himself or kick out to a wide open three well, well three point shooter or it's swing swing or out 
to Simmons and then you're laying off me 10 feet. And so guess what? I'm going to run dribble pitch now with Seth Curry and I'm going to use him as a screener and, and a ball handler where this guy, where guys are coming off of screens from him. And now there's no help coming up because you decided you're not going to guard Ben Simmons. This isn't Rajon Rondo who is six foot one. This is a dude who's six foot nine and 250 pounds. He's going to create space for himself and for teammates. And he's got enough floor vision and playmaking ability that if you get him in four on three situations, what's to say he's not going to destroy you the way that Draymond Green does, but with more scoring pop at the rim. So when you talk about a player like like Ben Simmons, yeah, there's a bunch of shit he can't do, right? And and we talk about that a lot, but the things that he can do are problematic when you surround him with the types of players that can help elevate those aspects of his game. So he's allowed to lean into those things more. Now, that's not to say it's going to go that way every single time, because when a player is flawed and you get them in a playoff series, you do end up having to play into those flaws more. And the players who can't overcome those flaws completely get X'd out of a series. I just think that Ben Simmons is so talented in so many other ways that with better fitting pieces around him, those flaws can be neutralized, not necessarily because of his own ability, but because the others around him complement him better. And, and that's why I'm a bit higher on Simmons within this context than, than you were, Pete. I'm just also banking in or baking in some Daryl Morey expertise on this. And the fact that they didn't make the trade shows me that there, he wasn't willing to go, Hey, Oh yeah. Have the, the next 75 picks and all of this other stuff and Tyrese Maxey, you know, and uh Thibel and whatever else, shake Milton. I don't know if they really want to shake Milton, but that's the part of it where I think that Morey is going to find some other way uh, to address the weaknesses they have and some other way to just to uh, sort of sharpen up that roster. So I, I would give them more faith than I would Brooklyn, I suppose, in some senses based off what we've seen recently, but it's just another, that, that's a little tiebreaker for me, for me between them and the bucks and in uh, kind of being that being a real threat down the stretch. So I, I yes, I, I am still kind of buying Philly. Okay, going to be very curious to see that. My whole idea about like, you know, tell me about what a guy can do rather than what he can't is more applicable to role players. I think that one of your superstars, right? They need, and this also plays into, we were, you were talking about the four on threes and all of that. And Bede's not the best passer. Mike was talking about the, you know, one-to-one assist to turnover no, ratio. If you're going to be that dude as a big, I think that passing is, is a really, and playmaking is a real essential because that's why part of the reason why the perimeter guys are so essential is because they can get their own shot or create for somebody else i will say Embiid is approaching the age now where it usually starts to click for guys as a passer and i'm not saying that's going to happen for him because it may not for some guys it does not click but we've seen a ton of growth from anthony davis for example as a passer in the last 12 to 18 months and it just starts to happen for big guys as they start to see more diverse coverages but those become more routine for them. So we'll see, but I'm with you with where Embiid is at now. I do think he will need to show growth in that area. I'm just not discounting that we start to see it maybe as early as this postseason, depending on how things play out for this team. Gonna be fun following that storyline as the season keeps going. It was, you know, how, how real is Philly? Can't wait to see them in the playoffs. Can't wait to watch the East. Uh, 
Lakers move to 10 and 3, best record in the NBA, 7 and 0 start on the road, best start on the road in franchise history. James Harden gets traded to the Nets. The league, the quality of play I've noticed is starting to pick up a little bit. I think kind of the the rust off of the first 10 games starting to look more like the NBA that I know and love. Uh, this is a fun kind of impromptu NBA Friday this time. Uh, we will be back on Monday, but until then, You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.